Thanks for tuning in to this message. My name is Jared Piney. I'm the online pastor here at Pathway, and I'm here with one of our worship directors and online hosts, Maddie Seitz. We hope this message is a valuable resource to you and helps you grow deeper in your faith. If you consider yourself a Christian and this message blesses you, I hope you'd consider giving back to us at Pathway so we can continue connecting all people to Jesus and helping them become his fully devoted followers. Learn more at pathwaychurch.com forward slash giving. And if you decide to take a step in your faith after the message today, simply visit pathwaychurch.com forward slash next so we can help provide you with resources and partner with you in this journey. Welcome, Pathway family, Westland Goddard Valley, those of you that are watching online. Now, if you missed last week, you missed out on a great message about being values-driven. If you didn't check it out, go back and watch it because it is valuable. Next two weeks, we'll be continuing to dig into relationships and relationship goals in the middle of this series. Now, today, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite things, how to resolve conflict, right? Now, September 18th, 2010, was an incredible day. It was the day that I married my lovely, gorgeous bride, Andrea. We'll put up a picture here for you. Right now, when you're looking at that, yeah, I heard a woo. You're thinking, man, look at that incredible hair. Like he actually had hair, right? This bald guy looks a little bit better when he has hair. No, you're probably thinking, look at that incredible dress, right? My wife's got style, I know. Uh, It's one thing that she brings to the table. You know, we actually met on MySpace. Who remembers MySpace, right? You remember MySpace, you were a friend with Tom. He was your first friend. You got to embed music on your profile. Oh, the good old days of MySpace. We had a mutual friend that we kind of met on MySpace. And, and actually, our very first date was going to be going to a sports bar and watching the Chiefs game, right? And it wasn't even my idea. Like, it was actually her idea. She knew me so well. I was like, this crowd is great. And it got even better because three days before that, she called me up and said, hey, I got free tickets to go to the Chiefs game. Would you just rather go to the Chiefs game instead of the sports bar? And I'm like, I'm going to marry this chick. Like, I don't even know her. I've seen her profile picture. I may be getting catfished. I don't know, but I'm going to marry her. Like, this is great. And it could have been a horrible date, right? All day driving and at the game and back. If we didn't get along, it would have been bad. The date was actually, the game was in December, and it was like 15 degrees. And if you know my wife, this will be humorous to you. I show up uh, to pick her up at like six in the morning to drive there. And I'm in like cold weather gear. Like I'm ready to go skiing in Colorado, right? And she's got on like little cute skinny jeans and cute shoes and a cute top. I'm like, what are you wearing? But it made us cuddle. We had blankets. We we hit it off. We we got along really well. 
a few years after that, we got married. Now I'd say the first year and a half of our marriage, we hardly ever fought. Like hardly ever fought at all. It, it would have been kind of a social media picture perfect marriage. Things were going great. We were in our 20s. Everything was good. But really, if you go below the surface level, we did have disagreements. There were things about our marriage that really we weren't that happy about. There were things about each other that drove us kind of crazy and we weren't that happy about. But you see, the problem is we ignored the conflict, right? We, we didn't put in the work to be able to resolve the conflict, and it just built up and built up and built up over time. You know, one time my brokenness came out, and it had ignited all of that built-up conflict. I'd actually lied about different college classes that I said I was going to, that I wasn't going to. I did this multiple times over actually a couple years, and, and it ignited all this built-up conflict. When she found out we had one of those knockdown, drag out, yelling fights back and forth, back and forth, like one of those things that you had this built up conflict that you never brought up. And, and now in the middle of this fight, you're kind of packaging this conflict. And you're making this word grenade, right? And you're lobbing it over and you're just trying to cause pain. You're just trying to win the fight. And when you live with someone, you know how to push their buttons. You know how to hurt them. You know what would cause pain. And we're just trying to win the fight, win the argument, you know, we're justifying our actions. I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, you're saying, well, I did this and it was wrong, but it was because you did that first. We're putting blame on them, justifying our actions, just want to win the fight. You know, I remember it so clearly. We were, we were in our old house in Riverside, and it was, it was February. It was kind of cold outside, so you had kind of the heat on in the house a little bit. It was mid-morning, and we got into this fight I think at the end of it, it's like we ran out of words. We weren't even saying anything. We had just kind of lost hope, and we were emotionally exhausted. I'll never forget uh, when she said these words. She was sitting across from me, and we were on the floor. It wasn't even on the furniture in the living room, and she was sitting across from me, and she said, maybe we should just get a divorce. Man, when I, when I heard those words, it was like the weight of the world was just on my chest. In one quick second, I just, I was devastated. And if I'm honest, I wasn't even completely devastated by the words she spoke, but by the situation that we were in. Like, part of me agreed that maybe we should just get a divorce, right? We had all this conflict that had built up and built up over time. And now how was we ever going to get on the other side of it and have a healthy and a thriving marriage? I don't know if you've been there before. Maybe in your marriage or some other relationship or conflict that just built up over time. You know, the truth is, when you're in conflict, you're in a fight. When I win the fight, we lose, right? Or when you win the fight, we lose. Anytime there's a winner in a fight, there's a loser in a fight. We have all kinds of fights, all kinds of relationships. I want you to think about the different relationships that you may have conflict in, in the workplace, Right? You may have conflict with your coworkers, conflict with your boss, conflict with those that, that you lead that work with you. You may have conflict in your home with your parents or with your kids or, or with your family or with your in-laws. Right? We have conflict with them. You may have conflict with your neighbors, with your friends, with your classmates, conflict with your kids, parents, with the, the parents in the kids' pickup line at school. Right? Anybody have conflict there? We have conflict. And there's different types of fights, too. Uh, first type of fight, there's these firework fights. These are fights that they come on really quick, they're loud, they're powerful, 
And if you hold on to them too tight like a black cat, they can cause a lot of pain and long-term damage. Right? An example of firework fights would be annoyance, right? Can you think of things of someone around you that annoy you? If my wife was here, she would tell you that what annoys her about me is a lot of things, but one thing she'd say is I've got stinky feet, right? My feet stink. And she likes to remind me of that often. It can cause fights. Like, we'd be at church sometimes. She's like, I can smell your feet. We're in the car. I can smell your feet. Or, we're, or somewhere else in a couple weeks, I, can, I know you can smell it. I'm a man. I work out, all right? I sweat. And she would say it's not only when you sweat. You just have stinky feet. But there's things about her that annoy me too, right? One of them being, and I've told her this all, many times, but she's never quite gotten it yet. Like we're going through the drive-thru and we've got two, two girls, two daughters there in the back. And every time I'm taking the takeout stuff from the takeout person and I grab it and I put it in this hand and I go to hand it to her and I get the next thing and I go to do this. And what's she doing? Like she's on her phone or in her thoughts. Like she's got one job, like grab the food, distribute it, right? There's other annoying things you can think of too. Maybe you've got a friend that talks too much or a friend or a family member that always wants to do what they want to do, but never what you want to do. Maybe you have a friend that always borrows things and never returns them and then wants to borrow more things. And that can be annoying, can have these firework fights. Another type of fights are foundational fights. Now, depending on the relationship that you're in, there's different types of foundational fights, right? Could be around uh, communication, trust, money, parenting values, values, theology, intimacy, anything on the, on the five love languages, if you're in a relationship, these can cause fights. You know, I've seen some spectacularly bad fights around friends or family members, around politics or current events. And make sure if you have one of those fights, you do it on social media because it works every time, right? Yeah, that doesn't really work. You know, another type of fights are these feeling fights. These can be quick fights or they can be long-term ones, but they're around kind of jealousy, comparison, lack of compassion, hard hearts, harsh words. I'm going to give you an example of just how lucky Andrea is to being married to me, talking about harsh words. So a couple months ago, she is picking up our daughter, seven-year-old Emerson, from soccer and bringing her home. And I've got to lead, leave to go to men's group to lead in. I've got Hayden at home. Uh, she's one, so I've got to wait for her to get there before I go. And she's running late, but she's not really late. Just soccer practice got over late. So as soon as she gets home, I'm in the garage. I'm like, all right, I got to leave. And she had the audacity to tell me, hey, Emerson spilled some water in the car. Can you clean it before you go? And I'm like, I'm already late. So I used some harsh words, right? I, I, I spoke out of line. I used my words as weapons to her and to Emerson. I cleaned the water. And then I go to group and I get to group and we go through all the introductions and I've already like studied this topic so I could lead it so you'd think I'd be practicing it. And I open it up and guess what the chapter is? How to be a godly husband. There you go. She's lucky to be married to me, right? We have conflict. We have tension, right? Any relationship you put two people together, we're going to have conflict. But maybe there's a better way to have relationships and a better way to have conflict. Let's see what God has to say about that. Uh, you can open up your Bibles or go to your Pathway Church app. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4. Now, as we get into Ephesians, I just want to let you know if you, if you don't remember that uh, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was actually born with the name Saul, and he was a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the group of people 
that they persecuted Jesus, actually had Jesus crucified on the cross. And, and Paul, he was a respected and influential Pharisee. He was a part of this group, and he hated Christians. He hated those who followed Jesus, and he persecuted them. But one day, he had this very rich and experience with God, and it changed him, right? He became a Paul, and he dedicated his life to pouring into Christians and to planting churches. He'd plant a church, and then he'd go to another town, and he'd pour into Christians and plant a church. He'd hear of things happening at this church, and he'd write them letters to encourage them, to instruct them, to teach them, right? This was Paul. When Ephesians was written, Ephesians may be some of his very best writing. Ephesians was written when he was in a prison in Rome, and he was in a prison because he believed in Jesus. That's why he was there. But he was writing this letter back to the church in Ephesus to encourage them. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Chapter 4 is so rich with how to have relationships. Later on, verse 31, it picks it up here. He writes this in this letter. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Church, this is how we should have relationships, right? As Jesus followers, we're called to love God and love other people. And Paul is telling us, actually, he's begging us to love and care for other people like this. Did you catch these words? always be humble and gentle. I want you to think, are, are, you, are you doing this? Are you living this out? Be patient. Give grace. Stay united. Have peace. Get rid of bitterness and rage, anger and slander. Be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive each other. Forgive each other. You know, the, these are great words. They're true. They're right. No one's going to argue against that, but they're so hard to live out. I fail at these so often, and I'm guessing that many of you do as well. But if we look behind the meaning of the words, what are some principles that we can apply that we can grow in this area? I think Paul is telling us he knows we're going to have relationships. He knows we're going to fight. We're going to have conflict. But he's trying to say there's a better way to get through conflict. There's a better way to have relationships. Right in here, Paul is trying to tell us that what we need to do, we need to take off our pride We need to take off our anger, take off our bitterness, take off our harshness. We need to lay our guards down, lay our weapons down. I think Paul's trying to tell us that if we looked at relationship goals, when you have conflict, the goal isn't to ignore the conflict and it's not to win the fight. The relationship goal is to resolve the conflict. It's reconciliation, right? Now, none of these are rules that we have to follow. I'd like to think of them more as principles that follow us, right? If we live by these principles or follow us into whatever relationship we have in the workplace, at home, in our family, in our neighborhoods. Now, the first thing I I think we need to know is to resolve conflict, you must fight naked. 
right? That's what Paul's saying. Like, did you read that in the scripture? Saying you must fight naked to resolve conflict. Now, I'm not actually talking about literally being naked, although that might work if you fight naked. I don't know. If it does work, then let me know. Actually, I I don't want to know that at all. Don't let me know whether it works or it doesn't, please. We're not talking about fighting naked literally, but figuratively. The first thing we can know about this is we need to fight naked by not wearing armor, right? Paul talks about this when he says, make every effort to stay united. Make every effort to be binded together in peace. This is taking off our armor. Many times in conflict or even in relationships, our walls are up and they're thick and they're tall. We're not going to let anyone get close to us. Our armor's on, our guard is up. The first way that we can take our armor off, Paul is telling us that we need to be a person of high integrity, high character. No lies, no deception, don't omit the truth, don't not tell the whole story, don't exaggerate it so much that you're only telling your side of the story that paints you in a better picture. High integrity, high character. Right? Dishonesty, Paul covered this in Ephesians when he said, get rid of all types of evil behavior. I think dishonesty is on that list. You know, recently, I, I've really ran across um, a few different couples, and I think this happens a lot of the times, that we get in these fights about our spouse wanting to look at our phone, our device, right? We get angry and we're all worried that they're going to see what we're viewing, what we're buying, what conversations we're having, what apps we're downloading, what conversations we're having on those apps. Or we get really mad that our spouse would want to look at our phone because it would mean that they don't trust us, all the while we're giving signals that maybe we can't be trusted. No lies, no deception. If this is giving you anxiety right now and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that, I just encourage you to, to check your heart. And this week, share your passcode with your wife. Andrew and I, we've got the exact same passcode. She can look at it anytime. So give your phone to your spouse. Let them look at it. If this is conflict for you, do it time and time again so you can build up the trust where you don't have anxiety in that area anymore. You know, if Andrea looked at my phone, she'd find some NFL draft stuff, right? Some fantasy football, some ESPN but she could do it and I wouldn't have anxiety, no lies, no deception. And if I looked at hers, I'm sure I'd probably find some fashion apps of what to wear with what, I, I don't know, but there's not anxiety there. Now this works in any relationship, right? The workplace, at home, with our kids, with our parents. Not that you would actually share your phone with them, but being a person of high integrity, high character, no lies, no deception, this works in any area. You know, the interesting thing is when we have a conflict, oftentimes a person's true character comes out. Have you, have you ever noticed this? Like you have conflict with someone, their true character comes out, and you're like, oh, there you are. There's your true character that just came out. Now, we can't control that in other people, but we can live and be a person of high integrity, of high character. Paul's telling us to get naked, to fight naked, and we've got to take off our armor. The second way we can take off our armor is to be vulnerable, Right? Now, when you have conflict, our natural instinct can be to fight or flee. We'll talk about fighting in a second. And really, neither one of these will resolve conflict if done by itself. Now, fleeing can actually mean to physically leave the room. And sometimes that can be helpful. It can be good to have a cooling off period to come back and have the conversation to resolve conflict. But fleeing a lot of times can be you're in the same room, but you're emotionally distant. You're emotionally unavailable, and you don't want to talk about it, and you're never going to want to talk about it. You want to bury the conflict. I don't know if you've been there before. We've got to take our guard off. 
We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to not have our armor on. We've got to allow them to share their viewpoint. Many times we are hearing people, but we don't listen to understand. There's a big difference there. We've got to listen to understand their perspective. You know, James 1.19, it says this, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I interpret that by Paul telling us to, to take off our armor. We need to always listen and listen first, maybe speak, but always be patient. To do this well, I think the first thing we've got to understand is that you are not always right. Shocking, right? For some of you, some of you may be elbowing that person. Let me say that again. You are not always right. We've got to be willing, whether it's in the workplace, at home, in relationships, to let people bring a complaint to the complaint desk. We've got to let them know how we wronged them, how we fell short, how we did something wrong. We've got to do this in all areas of our life. And not only should we be willing to allow these complaints to happen, we should seek them out. We should want some truth tellers in our life. Think about this. In the workplace, between coworkers or your boss or those that you lead and your families and your neighbors, we've got to be willing to have these things being spoken to us. While we're on the subject of you not always being right, let's talk about you taking responsibility of the wrong that you caused other people. We've got to fight naked by taking responsibility of the sin, the hurt, the wrong that we caused somebody else. Right? We can get in this habit of justifying our actions and putting the blame on them. You did that first and it made me react this way. If we hurt someone, if we wrong someone, if we sinned against someone, we've got to name it. We've got to ask for forgiveness. Paul's telling us we've got to fight naked by not wearing armor. And second, we've got to fight naked by not using words as weapons. Right now, when I think of a legendary weapon, I think of the Excalibur sword by King Arthur, right? Legendary weapon. We're not talking about those. We're talking about your words as weapons. You know, there's that old children's nursery rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never what? Hurt. Right? And part of that is saying that we've got to be so uh, founded in our identity with Christ and who we are that when people say things to us, our emotions can't go up and down depending on how they treat us and what they say to us. But the other part of it is that words do hurt, right? We've got to watch our words when we're talking to other people, that they can cause pain. They can cause pain and long-term damage. You know, Paul's talking to us about our words, but Solomon was maybe the wisest man in the Bible. In the Old Testament, he reinforces this. Proverbs 18 and 21, he says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. You see, when you're looking to win the fight to cause pain, you use your words as weapons. And here's the tricky thing. When you're in conflict... That if the other person is putting their guard down, putting their armor down, and they're vulnerable, and now you come in with that Mike Tyson knockout punch to, to use your words as weapons, it's just pain. It's long-term damage. That conflict, we've got to take our armor off, but we've got to not use our words as weapons. Ephesians 4 is so rich in how to resolve conflict. Verse 29, it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's your filter, right? Is it a help or is it a hurt? Are your words building people up or are they tearing them down? Let me talk one last second on this words as weapons. 
When you have conflict with someone, you've got to go to that person and talk to them. Right? Many times that we use our words as weapons, we go and rally everyone else. We go and talk to everyone else about what they did to us, the wrong, the sin they had, but we don't go to them and talk to them. And I'm not talking about screen to screen, that you're texting them or DMing them. I'm talking about face to face, eyeball to eyeball. Go and have the crucial conversation and talk to them about that conflict. Take your armor off. Don't use your words as weapons and go and talk to them to resolve that conflict. The last thing, we've got to fight naked like there is no free pass. Here's what I mean by a free pass. A free pass is essentially I'm doing something that strictly speaking I shouldn't do, but I want you or someone to overlook it, let it slide just this one time. It's kind of like a get out of jail free card, right? I do something wrong, but I don't want the consequences. I want to get out of jail free card, right? Paul talked about this earlier when he says, live a life worthy of your calling, right? We don't get a free pass. Now, I know many of you are, are listening to this message like, Jared, it's great. Thanks for taking the time, but you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand my spouse. If you understood the fights, the disagreements, if you understood who they are, if you understood the things that we've done to counseling and we tried to get better, but it's just longevity, then you would understand there's no way I can live out Ephesians 4. There's no way I can be always humble, that I can be, use my words to build them up. I, there's just no way it's going to happen. Or, or maybe you're saying, Jared, you just don't understand. You don't understand the way my family member or my friend, how they hurt me. How they hurt me and they cause so much pain. And because they cause that pain, you'd understand there's no way I can live out Ephesians 4 and forgive them. I can't forgive them. I'm not able to do that. Or maybe you're saying, Jared, you don't understand my past. If you understood the home that I grew up in, if you understood who my mom was or who my dad was, if you understand where I came from, then you'd understand that there's going to be times that I'm going to get really mad. I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to use my words as weapons, but I'm better than what I was, but I need a free pass, a free pass because of my past. You see, none of that, church, none of that gives us a free pass to disobey God. It just doesn't. Right? If your spouse hurts you, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. If your spouse disrespects you, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. If your spouse doesn't do the laundry, take out the trash or the dishes for the hundredth time, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. If your friend or your family member, they talk behind your back, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. If your kid lied and rebelled and did all these things that you've been telling them not to do, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. If your parent, if they overreact, it doesn't give you a free pass to disobey God. Now, this is, this is hard. This is difficult to do. You know, Paul said it so well when he says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin, right? You can get frustrated. You can get mad. You can get angry. You can get disappointed. But in that anger, he's telling us not to sin, and I think the best and maybe only way to do this is total reliance on God, right? It's through this vertical relationship with God, total reliance on him that will allow us to be more humble, to, to take off our bitterness, our anger, our harshness, to, to use our words to build each other up. There's times that we can't do this, but if we rely on God, we're able to do that. When I'm talking about this vertical relationship, church, I'm not talking about coming to church every once in a while and praying before you go to bed and praying before you go to dinner. No, a vertical relationship is spending time with God. 
is through listening and reading his word and praying with him. That's what a vertical relationship is. You know, church, we've got to stop praying polite prayers and start praying honest prayers. Here's what I mean by that. I had a guy in my office a few months back, and and he was going through so many struggles and challenges in life, and he's telling me about how his his home life with his marriage and his kids, he's struggling, and and he's struggling at work, and he's got depression, and he's coping with all of this in some very bad and harmful ways, and he just poured it all out. I was so grateful that he talked to me, and I prayed with him, and in that conversation, I said, everything that you just told me, have you went to God and told him? At that point, he hadn't. You know, what about you? Are there things that you've maybe told someone else or you're harboring deep down inside, but you haven't taken the chance to go to God and to tell him? Our prayers need to be emotional. Our prayers need to let the burden and the weight go from our shoulders to him because when we spend time with him and we pray, then amazing things can happen. February 2nd, 2012, this was the the morning of our fight. Mid-morning, we were on the, on the carpet in our living room. We didn't have any hope. We were devastated. Didn't have any words to say. We were contemplating divorce. And here's the crazy thing. We had been together at that point for about five years between dating and marriage. And we had never once talked about God. Right? We both identified as Christians, but at that point, we were way more believing in Jesus than following Jesus. There's a big difference on that. But about 30 days before that fight, God began to speak to both of us. You know how he does this. He chases you. He pursues you. He speaks to you in multiple different ways through music or people or situations. We just couldn't deny that God was chasing after us. But we never talked about it because in five years, we never brought it up. While we're on the floor, Andrea was the brave one. And she said, maybe we need to go to church and see if God can help. And I remember just thinking... Yes, absolutely. This is the step that maybe we need to do. Three days after that fight, we came to Pathway Church for the very first time. I remember hearing the music and the, and the worship and the message, and it was one of those messages that you're sitting there that you just think the, the teacher is just talking to you and everything is for you. I remember being in that service and thinking, maybe God can fix this. Maybe God can fix me and restore our marriage. You know, after service, uh, we went out to the atrium. We met a couple, Dan and Dana Dorflinger. We began to talk to them. We were like 28, 29 at the time. They were around the same age. And they said, hey, we have this thing called home teams. It's kind of like small groups. And uh, we're all around the same age. We'd love for you to come. Are you interested? And we're like, yeah, we're, we're interested. And, and then they said, well, we actually meet tonight. Do you want to come tonight? And I'm like, whoa, that's a little, a little too soon. I didn't, didn't know about that. We went to home team that night and we, we found our people, found our people to walk with us, right? That they could, they could help us in our struggles, that they knew the real brokenness that we had, that we all have in our life, and we could grow in that. We moved from just believing in Jesus, but following him. We, we grew like crazy. We began to get more involved here at Pathway Church individually and together in different ways. We began to grow in many different ways. And three years after that fight, God called us into ministry and I came on staff here at Pathway Church. You know, it, it's a crazy story of how it all happened. And sometime if you want to buy us lunch, I'll tell you more, right? I like tacos. They're, they're great. I'm so grateful that God rescued us. 
You know, the truth is, our, our marriage now isn't picture perfect. We have our fights, our disagreements. Sometimes we do get angry. We keep our guards up sometimes, but we're learning. We're learning to fight naked, right? We're learning to take off our anger, take off our pride, lay our weapons down, lay our guards down. You know, I can honestly tell you that without God, this picture right here, this family, this was taken two weeks ago at Easter. This is Emerson and Hayden. It never would have happened. Only God. Only God. What about you? What relationship, what conflict? That you're at the end of your rope. You've tried time and time again, but there's nothing else you can do that now you need to rely on God. What about you? What, what thing inside of you that you're like, I just haven't been able to get over this. I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I can't do the things that I want to do. And, and now you're at the spot to say, only God. You know, Paul's trying to tell us there's a better way to have relationships. There's a better way to handle conflict. If we apply these principles, if they follow us into relationships, then amazing things will happen. Church, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that God knows each and every one of us to the very details of our life. We know that the creator of the universe is willing to hear from us, that we can go to him and that we can pray. And church, he is willing to listen and he is able. He is able to restore any marriage. He is able to restore any relationship, any conflict. He's able to, to make you grow into the person of God that he created you to be. We believe in the power of prayer, so let's go to God and let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you pursued us, that you chased after us. Father God, thank you for allowing us to, to come to you and ask for forgiveness in the areas of our life of relationships or conflicts that we failed, that we failed multiple times, but let these words, let this message motivate us, inspire us to handle our conflict and relationships in a better way. Now, if you're listening to this message and you're willing to apply these principles to your life, to try to apply them to your life and your relationships and your conflict with, with everybody's eyes still closed. I just want you to raise your hand and say, I'm willing. I'm willing to take these principles and apply them into my conflict and relationships. If you're watching online, just type me in the chat. Hands all over. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in this moment, we would decide to rely on you that we'd grow in our vertical relationships so that we can grow in our faith, that we can grow in, in how we are humble and we take off our anger and our bitterness and our harshness. Father God, I pray that in our conflicts and our relationships, we would honor you. We would be able to share the love, the hope of who you are to others. We'd be a person of high integrity, high character. Father, we rely on you to grow us into this way. I know there's others of you in the room that you've never made that decision to name Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, but maybe you're here today and you knew this message was just for you. You felt God pursuing you and chasing you, and now you're ready to name him the leader and the Savior of your life. If you're ready to make that decision, all you have to do is repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned. 
I know that I've fallen short on the plan that you have for me. But today, I name Jesus Christ the leader and the savior of my life. And I choose to dedicate my life to follow him and to share his love and his hope and his forgiveness to others. Now, with everybody's eyes so closed, heads so bowed, if you made that decision, just raise your hand to show a commitment that you just made to God. Raise your hand to say that I named Jesus Christ the leader and the Savior of my life. And if you're online, just click the link to let us know that decision. We can celebrate you and encourage you. Father God, thank you. Thank you for these decisions. I pray that that you'd allow us to put people in our life to walk with us as we try to live these out. And Father, I just pray that you'd use us in a mighty and powerful way so that we can walk with others in our relationships and our conflicts to share who you are to other people. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in the loving, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.